Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I begin, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show as well as to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, with other people you know, and yes, even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And heck, while you're at it, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. As you know, it is definitely appreciated. I'm really excited about the show today and my guest, John Heaney, for a lot of reasons. To begin with, John Heaney's just a straight up good guy, as you're about to hear. Secondly, he's an incredibly experienced business guy and a savvy real estate investor. And thirdly, as a coach, he loves to share his knowledge and experience with others, especially when it comes to a very popular topic, raising capital and using RRSPs for mortgages when investing in real estate. So in the show today, we're gonna cover a lot of ground. And before we get started, I wanna give you some cool notes and additional background about John. John and his wife, Dorley, are the owners of Tranquility Enterprises, Inc. They've been married for 24 years. They have four children. And John grew up on his family's dairy farm in Ingersoll, Ontario, which he eventually took over from his dad. Now, they sold the farm in 2014 to pursue a real estate career. And in 2011, back in 2011, upon the advice of some very shrewd mentors, as you'll hear in this episode, John decided to create Tranquility Enterprises prior to the sale of the farm. So he really got to that having all of his assets tied up in the dairy farm, John quickly had to learn how to raise capital and utilize joint ventures, RSPs, and generate capital for investing that way. Well, nine years later, he's raised over $12 million to invest in real estate, and that number continues to grow each day. He works closely with his coaches, Jared and Krista Hope, and John today aspires to focus on teaching people how to raise money using JVs, RRSPs, and private capital. He has a huge passion to help others and to help them build a legacy. And he's got a really cool definition of that and to create tranquility. Without any further delay, let's get this show started. 
John Heaney, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show and uh, really great to connect with you again. It's been a very, very long time. So looking forward to catching up with what you've got going on. So welcome, John. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and visiting with you today. So, John, the... um, the question I always like to start with, because it gives our listeners a context really early on about who you are and, and um, you know, what you got going on, but is a simple, I think it's a simple question, which is if people walked up to you today and said, hey, John Heaney, what do you do? Who are you? What do you do? What's your kind of, what, do you have an elevator pitch of some sort around that? Yeah, I would say that I've given that a lot of thought in the last year or so, and I think it boils down to two things. Our company name is Tranquility Enterprises, so I like uh, bringing in our title of our company into what I do. So my, my elevator pitch is that I like to, uh, to build legacy, to create tranquility for people. Okay. So building legacy, do you, do you wrap a context around building legacy, what that means, or do you have, do you, how do you define that? Well, to me, uh, legacy is what it's all about. Well, legacy, not necessarily financially, but when I look at this, I look about first and foremost, Pat, uh, Patrick, we want to be good people. So I want to build a legacy of being a good person. I want to be build a legacy in every aspect of my life from, from starting from who I am, starting uh, next, that, next to that, my, a legacy with my wife, a legacy with my children, a legacy uh, in my community, a legacy with people that I'm involved with, uh, any type of legacy you can think of. But I like the idea of what we can do with real estate to help us contribute to that legacy. So it's a very broad term, but it encompasses everything that I do for sure. Now, I'm going to say right up front, I'm excited. The other reason I'm excited to talk to you and is because you're going to be on our stage at the an upcoming a couple of upcom, upcoming Acre events. Correct. And I know you're, you're going to be talking to raising capital and joint ventures and RSPs because you have some expertise in that. So I want to say that up front and sneak that in there. But the other side of what I just heard you say, which is for me very interesting, when we talk about legacy, because so many people attach a financial, I don't know what we would call it, a box called finance. And that's really how they look at legacy, especially around real estate. Right. Your reputation, by the way, John, is of all the things that you just described as legacy, that's what you stand for, but that's who you have who you all have always been or you've evolved to become, but ultimately you represent all of the things that you just described. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, that's a, that's a, a great compliment and, and what we all uh, aspire to be. But I think uh, for me, it's really important. Now I have, I have four children and uh, kids that are now starting to get into the uh, three in university that are really starting to think about what we're doing. And it's really important to me to, to be that huge example of that, not only to my, uh, to my kids, but to those around me. But it's, it's exciting. And it's a, a lot of great things. When you start thinking about legacy and the power of that word, it, you can really build a lot of what you do around it for sure. Now, you know, it's, uh, it's also interesting to me because many, many years ago, what you just described and, and said differently, but you actually added a, an interesting component to it. So a long time ago, I worked with a coach and I've worked with many coaches over the years. And, and I know you're a coach. We'll talk about that in yeah. a little bit. But sure. I worked with a coach many years ago and I need to give him credit. His name was Michael Reynolds. And Michael Reynolds did some amazing work in a men's executive group. And in that men's executive group, one of the things that we are tasked to do is to create a context for your life. So in other words, who are you in the context of your life? And, and that was who you were as a husband, a father, a son, 
uh, who were you as a business person? You know, really, it was it was actually defining yourself with the realization that you are making conscious choices, whether you think it or not. You're actually choosing to be the way you're being. So, is that okay with you? And how do you want to show up? So, describe how you want to be as a as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a business person. You know, what you've added to it is you've called it legacy, which is really interesting because that passes on to really your family primarily first of who they start to become your children, for example. Yeah. And so that's really powerful. Does, does that, does, does that fit in what you're describing John in this totally. context? Yeah, totally. I, I think if I were to break it down even further, Patrick, it would, the two words of uh, trust and confidence uh, come to my mind too. And, you know, and again, it goes back to relationships and, and you, you get along well in life and you do well in life, not only in your personal life, but in your business life, if people have trust and have confidence in who you are. So I talk, I talk a lot about that in terms of um, working with joint ventures and raising capital. To me, it's all about raising trust and confidence that people want to put money in what we're doing. And, and uh, that's, that's just in every aspect. I love those two words in conjunction with legacy for sure. So let's go back a little bit in the conversation and in the beginning of John Heaney. So, you know, you are where you are today. You're a very accomplished real estate investor. I know that your background is as uh, is in farming, was in farming. And so, but let's go back even further than that. You know, tell me a little bit about your upbringing because you're, you know, obviously very entrepreneurial. Yeah. So were your parents entrepreneurial? I always look at it and go, farmers are all entrepreneurs. And uh, and I know that's your background, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your youth and, and where you started? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's always fun to talk about that. I, I'm from uh, originally, or live and born and raised and still live in Ingersoll, Ontario, which is just outside of London. And uh, I was born um, into, a, into a dairy farming, a rich dairy farming background, uh, a lot of pedigree. We are five, I'm five generations of dairy farming. My kids were six. So it was um, well-established, raised in a terrific family, a terrific family uh, environment learned how to work from a, a young age with my father, took an interest in that, uh, went to Guelph and did a university degree in agriculture with the intention of not really knowing what I was going to do, whether I was going to come back to the dairy or not. But um, So my dad uh, gave me the keen advice of saying, you know what, you need to go work somewhere else in order to see if you really want to come back and work with us. So I worked for a company called Grand Valley Fortifiers, which is a, a nutrition company out of Cambridge. Uh, in sales and looked after um, farmers that were similar to our farm uh, all across southwestern Ontario. That was uh, basically giving them expertise, selling them anything that a farmer couldn't grow in their farm businesses. So I was in sales and really enjoyed that. I was an extrovert, uh, enjoyed the relationships. Many of those people have become and have have remained my great friends in, in my business and sales. And then I kind of transitioned to that. In 1995, my dad and I got down to the to the, to the turning point, I guess, where he decided, you know what, we want out and who wants in. So we uh, discussed that amongst our family and as I, we made a decision at that point. I was just nicely getting married and uh, decided that we wanted to make our home here in Ingersoll and get involved. So I graduated into the farm and kind of gradually got out of the, uh, out of the sales uh, business, finished that up in 2006. So from 1995, we started with about a herd of about 75 cows, milking cows. And that's what you say. You're you were in dairy farming. That was the yeah. The, that's the, the big thing, right? Yeah. So we grew that. And my dad was an awesome partner. He was 
very uh, happy to let me take the reins and, and was full of support. And to this day, he's 84 years old. We still work together and have a great relationship with my father. So he's a great mentor to me uh, and was very giving and understanding of where I wanted to go with the business. So we, we grew that like crazy. And uh, fast forward to 2000. Uh, uh, 11, I guess I had some pretty cool mentors in my life, a couple of real, real estate uh, development people and best friends of mine, people that I've h- kind of hung out with and cottage together, the whole works. Uh, but they were looking at my business and listening to the news and quotas and government regulations and some of the struggles that were coming and actually have turned up here in the dairy industry in the last few little while. Uh, it was time to think about getting out. So I said to my dad, I said, you know what? I think we should think about this and Let's just throw it out there, throw it up for sale. This is a this is a 325 cow dairy, 550 acre farm, uh, all of new facilities and, and a very desirable area. So we did and uh, found a, a guy in, in Holland that was interested in buying us. And uh, so that came out, got the deal done. It took us three years to get that done uh, wow. from 2011 to 2014 because it was a big deal and there was a lot of conditions behind it. But uh, at that point, you know, I was introduced and my mentors said, you know, you, you're, good at, you're good at people skills. You need to look at real estate and you start thinking about becoming an investor in real estate. And I don't know about you, Patrick, but I was never, ever comfortable with uh, just saying, here's a check, Mr. Financial Advisor, and God bless them. There's some good ones and there's some bad ones out there. But I wasn't happy with just saying, here you go, take the, the assets and, and take care of me for the rest of my life. So quickly I got into some real estate investing and you know in 2011 so this is three years before we sold I said to myself I'm going to build a a real estate business and try to make it huge before I even get out of daring and that's exactly what we worked towards and what we did and uh, had no money had because all my money was tied up in the dairy so I was forced straight off the bat to figure out what joint ventures and raising capital was all about because I wanted to have a nice solid business that uh that was put together before we exited the dairy. So that's what kind of makes my story special, I think, is that I had a big business, a really good business running. But we built the real estate business, uh, went out and studied, uh, bought a couple properties here in London, made some mistakes on that. And I got fed up with that and said, look, I need more education. And that's where Rain came in. So 2011, I joined Rain, studied, 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 took six months off, went to the cottage for two, three days at a time, Listen to every CD, listen to every every uh, multifamily thing, to joint ventures, Russell Westcott's Russell joint venture programs, and just read every book, read Don's books, and uh, went nuts on that. So I spent about six months doing that before I bought my next property. And within a year after that, I had figured it out and had some good mentorship coming from Rain, good Rain space, people that I trusted built relationship with, did everything that they said for me to do and went and bought 14 properties in the first year. So that was kind of fun. Single families, suited houses is kind of where I went to. It was my niche and uh, enjoyed that aspect of it. Went out and won. Uh, I think uh, I remember I have a picture of you and I on stage with the investor or player of the year and the rookie of the year. In 2000. <laughs> You'll have to share that. Please share that with me. I, I don't know if I want to look back that far at me, but uh, uh, yeah. You, you look a lot better then than you do right now. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, so thanks for that, John. <laughs> Definitely younger. That, Patrick, that was back when you were in your 50s. 
That's so funny. Yeah, so that that's kind of the gist of it. And then we bring it to today. We we sold that dairy, had to transition into a new home, and new we own 82 acres here in a beautiful cottage up in Muskoka. And we live our lives here with terrific family, terrific wife. And uh, you know, the last couple of years it's been in you know, just kind of getting out of that transition. I've been really starting and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm getting bored. And so I, I came across the podcast that, uh, that Jared Hope had done and we're actually with uh, Mr. Hamilton, Mr. Irwin. And, uh, it was a great eye opener to me. I emailed Jared and Jared and I have, uh, have built a relationship. He's I've hired him as my coach and, uh, he has been, uh, inspirational and in kind of jump starting the next stage uh, of getting going. So we're doing a lot of cool, really cool things and, uh, working together and coaching together. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great relationship ever since. So there's so many points of entry for conversation there. And <laughs> so, so thank you for that. Throwing me some slow pitches there. So, you know, for me being in business and, um, being very interested in how people achieve success in their business, you know, what I'm, drawn back to early on in your story, which was you've got a successful business called The Dairy Farm. You've grown it to 500 plus cattle. It's an operating operating company. You got stuff going on. You've got quota, which for those that don't understand it is a really big deal having quota, whether it be, well, in any, any farming industry, you know, in Abbotsford slash the Fraser Valley, you know, it's all about chickens and turkeys and quota, but yeah, yours, yours right. is around, um, I guess, milk and cattle, dairy cattle. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of value in that, but here's the thing around it is that I heard you talk about mentors. Now, when you think about, if you go back to that time, you know, what was it about the relationship that you had or who you were being, do you think that you attracted that kind of circle of influence or that those individuals into your life because when we talk to rain like you you having been a rain member and being part of the rain community there's lots of those individuals in the room so here's a couple things right is that i coach rain members have conversations over the years many 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 i've got individuals like you who come into the rain room and they go wow there's just so much here for me there's so many relationships there's so much knowledge and and then i've got other individuals who go I can't get it. I like this place drives me crazy because there's nobody wants to talk to me. And I'm going like, why, how is that? Is that, is that nature? Is it nurture? Is it intentional? Give me a little bit of your perspective on it, going back to how these guys were in your life and actually were able to guide you business-wise. Yeah. I, I think, um, from my perspective, a lot of it comes back to the fact that these were my friends and I had built relationships with them first. Were they university, we were they university no, buddies? No, they're actually church people, uh-huh. uh, people that we have as relationships with through our church. The one mentor that I, that I have a, a lot of respect for, our wives met at a, at a coffee house uh, at church for, for, for the working moms. That's or cool. for, sorry, for the moms at home with kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they... Six months they got together and then they introduced my, myself and Jeff together and we were just two peas in the pod. But I think a lot of it, Patrick, goes back to um, the mentors. When, you, when you're looking for a mentor and a coach is, is their, uh, their abilities and their intentions of putting uh, your why and, and, and put, investing their time into figuring out what it is that you want to achieve. I know my mentors were, were they didn't care. They didn't get anything out of the deal. They didn't care to get anything out of it, but they had a genuine concern for my concerns of why I wanted to get out of the dairy. They understood my business. They understood the fact that 
you know, was risky, was quota. You talk about quota, like it, it can be taken away tomorrow. And that was half the assets of our dairy. Like, and I, I was just floored by how much time and effort they spent understanding my why. We t- I talk a lot about why. Jared talks a lot about why. You talk a lot about why. Uh, but understanding that, it's a really, again, back to the joint ventures, you got to understand who you're working with and, and figuring out if your coach and the people who are your mentors in your life, that they're really genuinely interested in why of what you want to do. They're the people that you want to you know, gravitate towards. And I think that's what I would be looking for. If I'm in a rain room, is somebody that's not going to talk about themselves, but they're going to ask me questions. And they're going to figure out what is it that you want to achieve and why do you want to achieve it? And if if they're interested in that, they're the kind of people that I think can really help. If you're a guide, I mean, you're a coach, you're an accomplished coach. You're, you've really kind of stepped into that coaching world because it's what you love to do. You come with lots of expertise. You're a coach, you're a mentor. Now, if you were guiding people or giving, you know, some kind of advice slash guidance on attracting mentors, because I'd like to hear from your perspective. Often what I'm faced with is individuals who want you to be a mentor, but they have, there's only one side of the equation and which is what do I get from you? Right. And, and so uh, from your perspective in the relationship that you struck, even within your community called church, which is one of the, you know, a a church community is awesome. Any community of people that is, is in a good space, you know, is, is always awesome. But what do you think, if you were to kind of assess the relationship that you had, I think with Jeff as your guy, one of your guys, there was nothing in it for him in terms of any deals that you were doing, selling the dairy, all of the rest of it. But what do you think that you brought to the table that for him balanced the relationship to say, you know, I just want to, I just want to be, I want to be supporting John in his, his outcomes because it's never, it's, it can't ever be one-sided. Yeah. Uh, is that too deep a question and too hard a question? I, I, I don't really have a good answer for that, to be really honest with you. But like, I, I really, to be truthful with, with Jeff, especially, it was like, I didn't really have an awful lot to bring. Like I, he, he had, he had networks that were more zeros than I had on mine for sure. Like one or two more zeros than I have on mine. He's very well accomplished guy, Mm -hmm. but he was just unselfish. Patrick, Mm -hmm. And I think that he had a genuine interest and he liked me, you know, we shared the, we had a lot of things that we had in common. That's another thing I like about working with a coach or working with a mentor is that you got to like them and they got to like you. You got to have some common interests. Jeff and I shared the love of Muskoka and, and we both wanted to cook to be in Muskoka and we got cottages up there. We love Porsches. I love Porsches. I've loved Porsches all my life. And he has a couple of really cool Porsches. That was one of the first things. Family man, a good husband. We had a lot of those commonalities, but Jeff never came to me and never ever made me feel like I need something out of this deal. He just genuinely wanted to help me because I think we got along so well and we had some common ground and we enjoyed being together, right? So that's, yeah. that's probably that the same game. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's perfect. And as vague as this might be, or, you know, I, I still think it's an important conversation because, you know, many people that I've spoke with over the years who want this mentor, this thing called mentorship, they really are from a what's in it for me kind of scenario. And I'm not trying to make anybody wrong, by the way, sometimes that's just because just being naive or not understanding, right? Not learning that. And I still am a big, fundamentally at the core, I know that giving and receiving is the same thing. And, you know, when when Jeff is giving to you, he's also receiving. So who you're being, how 
you're being appreciative. You know, the, the care and the love that you might show the man is also him receiving. So giving and receiving is always the same thing. And, and if we come at it from that point of view, I think that's where we attract great relationships ultimately. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more on that. So let's get, let's carry on. So how old were you kind of when, where, what kind of age range were you in? Because, you know, your, your dad was very supportive, great relationship with your parents. Awesome. Um, some would say, well, geez, you got a really great leg up, but I tell you what, taking a farm, a dairy farm from 75 to over 500, making it profitable when you've got government, especially with government regulations, animals, weather. I mean, gosh, you got everything that you can't control happening in your day, almost every day. Right. We talked about this earlier. I'm freedom 55 this year. So this was all happening when I was coming into my 50s, late, late, early 40s. 41, 42 is when I started to think about it. 45 was when things kind of got rolling, I guess, in terms of the idea of getting out of the dairy and into real estate. So... It's interesting that I think statistically, and there's probably some wealth management guys that might be listening to this might say I'm right or wrong, but for men anyways, the prime sweet spot for hitting your actual biggest earning years and financial stride is in your 40s, yeah, between 40 and 50. And and so some, you know, we, we, we often have, you know, I say we hear in the news about millennials' expectations. I think that's every kid's expectation, whether you're millennials or not, you know, you, you would have had them at that age anyways. But there is a realization that there's just some dues that you have to pay before you have the smarts and the savvy to, to right. really take yeah. it to the next level. For sure. Absolutely. So when we talk about real estate now, you also sound pretty methodical. I mean, you went to university, you got your degree in agriculture, which was just, is just smart. You know, I don't know. Did you ever know, uh, Travis McConaughey? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Travis really well. Yeah, of course yeah. you do. Well, he's, a great guy. he's an amazing guy and he has a similar story, uh, similar in that family farm, huge farm on Saskatchewan. You know, he was into, uh, of course, uh, grain. And so it was a different scenario, but same kind of thing. And, and like you, he, you know, he became part of rain. He, uh, you know, he took it on. He's got a couple of degrees. One of them is in economics, I think, and the other is in agriculture. And so they, you, you guys have a very similar kind of path and attitude. And like you, he's just a genuinely good guy. Like good guy. He's, yeah, he's just a lot of fun such to hang good, around. Yeah, he's a cool dude and smart like crazy. Uh, actually, unassuming smart. I always say about Travis. He, <laughs> you know, he's pretty unassuming, but he's a brilliant man. I, I, I love Travis. So, sure. so tell me about your plan. Like now, were you sitting down and you talk about your why? Let's go back to, let's touch on that quickly, just so I'm clear. When you talk about your why, can you share some overview of what your why is, what Rain is always referred to as your Belize in, in my context? I don't know what it is for you. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it, again, it goes back to our conversation earlier about legacy. And, you know, I'm at the stage now and right. I was at 45 in the, and my why really hasn't changed a whole lot from uh, when I was dairy farming to what it is now. And I'm, I'm a huge believer that, um, that oh, these kids that we have now and, and the next generations to come and the grandkids that are coming, you know, we're at that stage, you and I are both at that stage where we're looking at squaring the eye. And I'm thinking, you know, my, I don't think my kids have it uh, uh, as easy as what I did, as easy as my parents did to get to the next generation. So to me, it's like, I need to create something. I need to help them create something that they can either passively or actively be involved with. Either it's my business or it's what they can learn from me and what I'm doing in my business. So that's a big part of my why. But I think 
Equally important to me is a genuine, heartfelt interest and a passion to to help other people find what their why is. And I, I as, as sincere as I can be, I want to I want to say that that's what really it's all about for me right now. And joint ventures, I don't honestly, Patrick, I really don't need any more joint ventures. But I just love uh, looking at families and looking at people who are struggling, who are stumbling, and and are stuck don't know where to go and realizing that I can come to you and I can help you get unstuck. And I have some solutions and some help for you that can get that done. So my passion is to, is to solve other people's why. And that's probably what my why is, is, to, is the joy and the fulfillment that I get about helping other people. I think a lot of it too goes back to my mentors. I look at this dairy business again and you know it's important for people to understand. And I, I think this is what really makes my story unique. It wasn't something where I exited I had all these funds and then I started another business and it was like the farm was a jump board to my real estate business. It wasn't. Like I started and I built that that tranquility real estate business was almost or bigger than the dairy farm was before we even sold. So I was really fortunate to get get that done before and got a really aggressive start at that. And then we could, you know, move our, our investments out of the farm and into diversify. Like we have some other things that we invest in too, like, like the, the funds from the farmer are all over the place right now. But there's, that's, that's, a, that's a really key point. And that's all part of that why, again, my, my friends understood that why of why I wanted to get out of that and realize that and were able to help me with that. But does that answer your question? Sure. I think that's the why in a big nutshell right there. Yeah, but sure. that's, you know, what I heard in all of that, what's, what's cool about this is as we talk about your story and investing in real estate and your journey and, and how we came back together, I think that's a bit of a cool and interesting story as well. Sure. And, and, and ultimately, you know, the one thing about rain and, and it, I think that we probably have, you know, I'm going to really get back into that conversation with people again overall. You know, we, we lost, rain lost a bit of its path for a short period of time. We're getting that path back aligned. And, and part of that was driven by my reconnection with my good friend and, and co-venture partner, Jared Hope. Well, Jared and I are aligned on a, a number of things, one of which is our values. And, and the one thing about rain is that in spite of how it might appear to people as a business, because it is, ultimately we're in a really cool position because Rain is, and we as as an executive team are driven to support people in having financial success investing in real estate. And that really lights us up. So we measure our success by how successful our members are being. How are we delivering? How are we working for them? And and, and so a, a success story from you, for example, about what you've achieved and Rain was part of that journey yeah. is really cool to have been part of your journey. But in my reconnection with Jared, because of the work that you've done with Jared, because you found Jared as a coach, he started, I think he started coaching you. You found him as a coach, as you said on the podcast. Yeah. And then you started working with him. That's now morphed into you being a coach. Yeah. And But what's interesting about that is your values what you just described in terms of wanting to be a contribution, wanting to help people, you know, really succeed to get past and quit stumbling around financially is so in alignment where rain has always been and where rain is going to continue to go and actually turn up the volume on. So all of a sudden now, I'm excited to have you on the stage at Acre Vans. And I know that we've got, we're going to put you to, you know, we're going to put you to work on stage on a, in a few different <laughs> scenarios. So I don't yeah, know if, I don't great. know if you're all, I don't know if Jared's updated you on where we're putting you to work, but yeah. <laughs> you got some yeah, cool stuff no, going I, forward. I have a pretty good idea of that. <laughs> you know, I want to make a comment to Patrick and I appreciate your words here in terms of the rain and the, and the journey. And, the, and I want your, your listeners to understand that 
this is a guy that's followed you guys for 10 years. And I really, really delved into it. I find it a, a rain has been just tremendous for me to get to where I am. I owe a lot to rain. And I tell everybody that, that that's, a, that's an important building block for me. And, a, and I think rain, as you have alluded to, kind of got away from some of the basics. You know, Don's book, Real Estate Investing in Canada is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a bit of a period of time there where a lot of, a lot of people were disheartened with there wasn't maybe that emphasis that we needed. And mm-hmm. you know, now that I'm kind of more involved in, in getting into the guts of this, my message to your listeners, to your old RAIN members, to your people who maybe have gone away or done something different, I really believe that this company's taken a, a, a change for the better now. They, they've kind of had their, their ass kicked a little bit and, and understood that, hey, this is it's a bit of a shakeup and understanding we need to get back to our roots. And I see... Uh, you know, with Jared for sure too being involved, but I think you've got it in your head too that this is you've got to get back to what we what you do really really well, and, and this is happening. I think it's happening starting this fall, and lots of great things on the horizon. So I really encourage people to have a re look at this and understand. Hey, we're going to teach you how to invest real estate investing in Canada. That's what it's all about. You know, and and so thanks for that. Yeah, we are really getting lined up. Uh, uh, and of course, you've had the opportunity to meet Jean Guy Francoeur, Jennifer Hunt. I mean. The, the leadership team has, you know, is really aligned. We're all pulling in the same direction. We got some really, really, uh, I think, some cool uh, plans going forward for the community and for the for the members to that's really going to support them. You know, there's a, there's a place where I can have all the excuses in the world, by the way, you know, and that's really <laughs> easy to do. But as CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network, it's a tough pill to swallow when you when you've got to be a hundred percent accountable for the misdirection. And I'm, and I'm telling you right now, I have a million excuses. Well, maybe not a million, but I've got a lot of excuses why we went the path we did, but you know, something, um, that would be in the, in the context of uncompromising responsibility, um, and a hundred percent ownership, I got to take it on. Right. So I'm yeah. taking it on and I'm, you know, uh, and, uh, tough, tough, to, tough to get, you know, tough to tough pill to swallow, but I'll take it on the chin and go, ah, I gotta go, gotta go. And then, yeah. and then, and guys like John Heaney show up. So I'm excited. Yeah. So that said, as we talk about real estate and real estate investing, John, and are you actively now still acquiring for yourself or are you primarily on the path of I'm, I'm really just, I just really want to help others. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, Patrick, the way that I kind of philosophically think about my real estate investing is I, I kind of have my pro, my portfolio on one side and I have my joint venture and raising capital money uh, on the other side. So there's literally two kind of portfolios. My own portfolio, we have about 30 properties right now. We are as high as 40. Uh, got up. I was going after that diamond pin and I never got there. But I, <laughs> hey, hold it. Jared, stop right there. Stop right there. Just Okay, so stop for a second. <laughs> is, is, are those pins not just the weirdest things? When, when All you need, it doesn't have to be a big prize, but isn't yeah. it something to have a goal and have a milestone? You know, it is... It totally is. You know, my pins are sitting in my office here. I can go get them. I know exactly. But I look at those things every day and I, you know, they're, they're motivational, right? Yeah. They, yeah they, you know, like we talk about this all the time. You, you can, you can do a hundred properties, but you can probably do the same thing in 10 or 12, 20 properties if you really want to, depending on what your goals are. Yeah. So yeah. But at the same time, it's, it's a, it's a statement to me. I did it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can shoot for this. And give you, I remember that was back in the day when I first started out, that was all I wanted, right? I, then it was telling me I was doing what I was told to do and I was successful and here's a pin to show it. I love that, right? I really do. 
So, so go back to one thing that I don't want to step step over when you use the term trust and confidence. Yeah, and and so. Give me, I think that was within your, perhaps within the relationships that you're creating for joint venture partners, I think. What do those two words mean to you? Yeah. So um, again, I think it has, it can go right back to uh, the way that I like to attract joint ventures and attract money is it's not about the deals as much as it is who you're dealing with. And um, most of my joint venture partners and most of the people that I deal with, with, with raising capital are all people that I have, a, have built a relationship that has nothing to do with real estate investing, but it's, it's morphed itself and it's evolved itself into real estate investing. A lot of my guys that I work with are, are again, are, are, are sports families. Uh, our kids are heavily involved in volleyball, hockey, hockey families. You spend hours at the rink and hours in the gym just building trust and confidence, right? And when you do that and, and they begin to see that, then they, they say they have the, once they get to that place where they're comfortable with that trust and their confidence, then they're, they're really easy to give you their money. They don't have any problem with that because they have that solid foundation of which to do that. So those two things, you know, uh, we talk about this when I teach on stage and, and when I'm coaching people, spend time understanding people's why understanding how, what they need to build your trust and confidence. And, and, and then they get to that place where they, it's an easy ticket to write a check once you have those two things in place. So that's the basis of it. It really is the basis of raising capital is trust and confidence. I always like to look at the other side of the equation when it comes to joint ventures. And, and I know that you'll speak to this if I prompt you a little bit and give you what I yeah. see the other side. Sure. Because what I know you've seen probably, I've seen a lot of, is that you're actually creating relationships. So as much as the joint venture partners are, are gaining trust and confidence in you, you, you made it really clear. You're understanding the other side of the equation, which is who they are. Because this is a co-venture agreement. This is a partnership. And it's co-venture, joint venture, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use, but it's a partnership. And so what we have to be very conscious of, uh, and I'm sure you'll support this thought process, is so many real estate investors are just looking at the check. Yeah. So somebody's writing a check and maybe it's hundred grand, maybe it's more, whatever the number is, but they're not really understanding who's the person behind the check. Where's that money coming from? What does it mean to them? Is this bread money or is this actually investment money? Is this going to come back to bite me in the ass in five years from now or three years from now or a year from now because the relationship is on the rocks? because they, you know, they don't handle their money well. Like there's got to be more depth to understand because what'll take a joint venture partnership off the, uh, you know, off the rails really fast. Things like divorce, things like I can't afford that hundred thousand dollars. You know, I borrowed the money and I didn't know better and I didn't know there was going to be a cash call, whatever the story is. Right. Yeah. So, for sure. so do you see that? Do you, have you seen that over your span of uh, being a real estate investor talking with people, John? Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, it's easy to get lost in, I got this return on investment uh, on my, on my invested in, in my joint ventures or in my RSPs or whatever you want to talk about. It's not about that. It's about, it's about, did I actually achieve why I invested into that real estate venture? So here's a little story. Um, You know, 
one of the people that I'm working with right now, they're, they're dairy farmers and they have a, an interest in having something for their non-farming. They have a, a nice farm out West and four kids, one's interested in farming, the other three aren't. So we want to create something along the story of this is that we want to create something for the non-farming uh, kids, right? For their inheritance. So their, their success in terms of whether or not we're going to be able to help them is whether or not we've created that. They don't care what their return on investment is. They don't care they, what they want. They want to get this thing paid down that they have a debt-free uh, you know, mortgage-free property in 10 years that they can present to their kids. That's how they're going to measure success. And, and is, it, is it something that I can come in and help them making that seamless? Is there not a lot of problems? They can focus on dairy farming right now. I can focus on creating that asset for them. How, how does that feel to them? That's how it makes how they feel about it is really how they're going to measure the success. We haven't even talked about return on investment. Not even one word, okay, you're going to get X amount of percentage of this. That's not even important to them. But it's, it's a whether or not we can achieve what they're after out of the real estate investment, that that's how they're going to measure it. And it often isn't money with people who are sincere about investing with us anyway. You know, I've, I've done such damage to this, <laughs> this context, which is, uh, you know, was around the four quadrants of trust. And, uh, it, and I, I've messed it up in a couple of other podcasts, but, you know, uh, so I want to get really clear with it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's, it's appropriate for this particular conversation, but secondly, to clean it up when I've, when I've messed it up before. And the four, what I've come to call the four quadrants of trust, which is about relationship, by the way, and in this case, joint ventures, is if you were to kind of draw that cross on your page, you know, in the upper left-hand quadrant would be truth, because we talk about trust some often we we get stuck in this world called truth is he telling or she telling the truth and the, in the other quadrant we have reliability you know in in the quadrant called you know in, in under truth and then down in the far left hand side for example we can say competence and then in the far right lower right corner would be care so in the four quadrants of trust it is about truth reliability competence and care and and we have to look at the individual we're being and number one and and be truthful about that do we assuming we're telling the truth assuming we care are we actually competent and are we reliable do we show up on time are we actually telling the truth about our our competence and our reliability do we really care and then on the other side of that equation when we look at the breakdown of trust that's really where it happens. One of those quadrants is compromised and we quit trusting. And the understanding that some people are really, really great people and they tell the truth, but they're not competent. And that's something that we have to consider when we're looking at joint venture partners. Now, by the way, I, I also got a, this was uh, originally back in early 2000. This came from a book called The Thin Book by Charles Feldman. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of modified it because it, it, the concept is good. I just changed what I saw as the words for the four quadrants. So, you know, when you think about that, John, and, and does that kind of, does that align with some of the stuff that you believe or that you see and, and that you would consider? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think to add to that, what comes to my mind, Patrick, is is how fragile trust can be too. Mm. And the importance of um, not only achieving it, but maintaining it through the deals that we do, through the people that we work with. It's it's one thing to get it. It's another thing to keep it. And this, this goes back to um, 
what are what am I doing? What are you doing in the in the deals or in the JV partners that we have? to maintain that trust, right? And you, you just can't afford to uh, make a mistake and to, and to be in trouble with something because the minute that somebody loses trust, your deal's in trouble and, and you're never going to get it back. It's going to be a very, very difficult road to get that back. So one of the things that goes back, what I really liked, and this goes back to coaching, it's, it's following somebody who's doing what I'm doing and they're, doing, you know, they're, they're, they're buying properties, they're, they're doing joint ventures today. And they're constantly doing that to make me a, a, a good example of what I need to do well in order to maintain that trust, right? So once the trust is gone, it's, it's over. But it's really important that I'm maintaining my ability to, to keep trust with people. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And, and, and it's actually a, a worthwhile conversation from my perspective because as real estate investors, you know, to grow your portfolio, to to get it to whatever your goal is. At some point, there are few that I've ever met that don't need to attract capital. Right. And and so in order to attract capital, how you show up, who you're being, like if you were to, you know, hang that four quadrants of trust, you know, out in front of you, it's a place for you to constantly check in with, right. number one. Number two is that the breakdown of trust is, to your point, John, is so easily compromised. And often it's because of, the breakdown in communication, right? You know, something goes a little bit wrong. You know, you don't want to tell your joint venture partner, you kind of hide out. So then the next thing you know, there's this breakdown of communication and then ultimately a compromise in the relationship of, of trust. How do you guide your coaching clients around, around that kind of thing? What is the guidance that you're giving in those scenarios, John? You, you know, I, I, I think I've learned a ton of that working with Jared as well. And, and the hard Kristen, way, by the way, the hard the, way. The hard way, yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's like the importance of dealing with the fear of consequence of dealing with joint ventures. You know, like I have this thing or I've got some vacancies or something's not going well, I'm going to take that back. And you fear the consequence that they're, what they're going to do to you, mm-hmm. right? And that's tough. It's, it's, it's really, really tough. But I think, I think you learn to, uh, to become a better joint venture partner when you learn to deal with the fears of the consequence of what your JVs may bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And once you capture that and then you realize... Uh, you know, this is actually going to make me a better joint venture partner if I get on the phone or if I write an email and I say, this is what's going on. I want to be transparent with you. We're having a little struggle with this. This is the, We've got a couple of vacancies in here. You know, Edmonton's a tougher market right now with some of the vacancies. I got a lot of single families that I wish I didn't have up there right now. And it's sure. tough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, I've been on the phone or I've been talking to my people about this and saying, you know what, we're going to go through a bit of water. We're going to do some refinance, not re- refinancing, but renegotiating on some mortgage interest rates and stuff like that. Let's try to work on that. And you know what? They're like, yeah, that's really a great idea. Really. Well, you know what? You take care of it, John. I'm good with that. Like, and that's the kind of, just because I've gone out of there and dealt with my fear of what they might think, they've rewarded me with more trust and more confidence in tough times. You know, that's so interesting because I find that if you've attracted the right, and what I see, if you've attracted the right joint venture partners, is that kind of a response to those kind of issues. Yeah. Uh, which is to say, they they partnered with you because they also want leadership and there's a, a degree of trust and they know that you're going through the pain of it too. Yeah. And, you know, you're in it with them. It's not like you're, you know, they're on their own. And actually what you're doing is you're also taking it on and going, I'm going to see us through that. And yeah. 
you know, and, and surrounding yourself with the right people, having the mentors, having the community to actually see that you're not alone if you reach out and have the conversation with others that can help see you through the challenges. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that back to your comment earlier, it's, 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 uh, it's something that you and I, as, as, the, as the, uh, the JV, the experts in the, in the partner uh, or in the partnership or in the JV agreement, it's, it's you and I that are dealing with that on a daily basis. The JV, the capital guy and the money guy is only really going to deal with the stress of that when, when I come to them and communicate. They're not even thinking about that right now. And chances are when you're done a phone call and if it's not a big issue, they're not going to think about it 12 or 15 hours after you've had that conversation. But we're dealing with that every single day, every single hour. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to keep the mentality in, in, in feed your mind and, and take care of your mind and how you deal with the adversity in these JVs. And again, like I had to learn this the hard way. And I'll tell you, man, if I, if I would do this all over again, I would have had, had Jared or a, a coach doing what I aspire to do every single day Jared, how do I handle this? Or what do I do? And we've had these conversations. I've had this conversation with Jared a lot. I run to him and I say, look, I've never been there. I've never had uh, this situation. How do I deal with that? Mm -hmm. And again, he gives me the tools and off I go and boom, it's done, right? So having that team behind you is really, really important. So important. You know, the... You know, I want to say is that we both have had the experience of consequences and not maybe facing them and all the rest of it. But ultimately, I see... And because I've talked to so many Ray members over the years that I can't even tell you how many people are dealing with literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and in, 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 in some cases, millions of dollars of deals gone wrong and they've refused to deal with it and to face it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions that I was asked many years ago, and, and I still need to be reminded of sometimes is, is. When you look at the consequences, whatever your fear of a consequence is, when you look at it, what is it today? Yeah. And if you don't address it, is it going to get better in a month from now or six months from now or a year from now, or is it going to get worse? <laughs> Bottom line, <laughs> You're in trouble. You suck it up. You got to go with yeah. it. And, and that right. is sometimes painful. And the other thing that I think that sometimes gets in the way of people, and I, and I think uh, I'll generalize, and I, I have no data for this, but I, my sense of it is, is primarily men is that they don't want to reach out because they have some degree of shame around it, some degree of embarrassment around it, like they should know it all, like they dropped the ball. And that's really a tough hurdle for people to get over. What, do you see that as well, John? Oh, totally. I told that. Our pride gets in the way, right? Oh, that's so... the issue, and especially on the masculine side of things. And we, well, we, we'll, we'll weather this storm and, yeah. well, boy. But, you know, even even my own experience, I tell you, I have bad days too. Oh, you know, and it, it's, uh, you, sure. get, you, get, you get, you get as, as a provider and as, you know, we, we call them the warriors of the family going out to the, get to bring, bring home the kill, bring home the care of the family. You, there's a lot of pressure on us to, to kind of continue with that, but you, that gets threatened. We think, oh, what if, what if, what if? But it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's okay to get there because I think it's totally normal to feel that way. It's what you do with it that matters, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. This is why you need people in your life to help you through that because you just don't know how to deal with that all by yourself, and it's a lonely world trying to figure that out. I think um, you know, as a coach, both of us in our life of as coaches and coaching. I don't have a coaching program, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. You know, John and Jared and that gang do. My coaching program is called the University of Real Estate. Rain the re- <laughs> the University of Real Estate. That's the best I got. The source and the resource. But yeah. the the I think too is that sometimes people are a little bit. 
back to the pride issue, because we've been through all of it, you know, I want you to tell me when you hear somebody have a problem, do you have any judgment of the character of that person? Like, like I don't judge them and go, man, are you ever dumb? Like that was really stupid. Like I, I don't have any of that, you know, any of that thought process. Uh, what's your, what's your read on it? Do you know, um, I can't say that when I was younger and when, when I didn't have and learn what, um, empathy was all about, I think I did. I think I did. Of course, of course we're young males. Of course. Now it's, now it's like, you know, now that I've learned that, you know, good old Zig Ziglar, I love his quote. You can have anything you want in life if you're willing to help enough people get what they want. But when you figure that quote out and you begin to put others before yourself and you put their needs and their aspirations, you, you automatically, when you hear somebody with a problem, I look at it as an opportunity of how I can potentially help you and, get, and make your life happier as a result of that, right? But it's not about what's in it for me. It's all about, okay, let's just change the focus. There's, you got to lose the judgment on them and work to, okay, what can I do to help you with that, right? And realizing that you're going to get some film, it might not be something that you're going to get financially. It might not be something that you're going to get tomorrow. You might have to wait 10 years before you can actually see the fruits of your effort to help them. That doesn't matter. You put all that aside, but there's a great joy and a great satisfaction of being able to help people get past some problems that are really solving them. Not judging them, but coming with an attitude. How can I help you get over that to make your life better? You know, and, and, and that's such a good point, but you know, for like, I can speak for myself is that, you know, 35 years later in business, I have made <laughs> more mistakes than I can count that have cost me more, probably millions than I care to even think about. So when I'm listening to somebody dealing with a challenge, with a problem, I've got nothing but empathy and compassion for it. I really don't have judgment around it in terms of short of a, a crime, listen, it's so easy to get sidetracked and go off the rails. You know, it just so is. And that's just about coachability as well. So, I, you know, don't need to spend a bunch of time on that. So, John, in the context of, you know, what you do, I mean, you've gained expertise on raising capital. You've gained an understanding and some expertise even around how to use RSPs for mortgages, for example. I don't know where we would go in because both of those are, are kind of areas of you know, really high interest to you and interest of expertise. We've talked a lot about joint venture capital and raising capital, but let me ask you this question because it's one that shows up often. You know, we talk about who you're being, how you're being, creating relationship, understanding, you know, in this case, let's talk about, you know, we talked about the four quadrants of trust, having and gaining that trust, communication, uh, looking at and, and facing the challenges, you know, and, and stating those challenges with your joint venture partner, clear communication. But the other question of that is that's all great, but how do I find joint venture partners? Do they just magically appear? Because that's the question. You know, I've got people that literally I have got Ray members who go, I've got so much capital available to me and I don't have enough deals. And the polar opposite of that is, is how do I raise capital? Like I can't find anybody that wants to invest. Right. What's your, let's, let's enter that conversation. What kind of guidance can you give in that regard, John? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I I, I find a lot of uh, common uh, problems like that in the people that I'm talking to as well. Um, most of the coaching that I do, and most of the people that I help are the are the are the latter that don't have capital, uh, are wondering how they're going to get it. Where do I find these contacts? And I think a lot of that has to start with what are your goals. I think how you go about finding one, two, or three joint venture partners is a little bit different if you want to go out and find 10, 15, or 20 joint venture partners. So I always start at the beginning. You, like It's like picking the ripe fruit off of the tree. You don't want to go in and pick the fruit in the middle of the tree. You want to get the one that's hanging low. So for me, it's again, it goes back to... Um, the, the inner circles and, and having these relationships. You, I, I remember Russell used to teach that you used to have, I think you know, 90 or 95% of the joint venture partners you already know. So it's just a matter of figuring out who those are. And uh, I like going, one of the things I love to talk about and one of what I've done, I continue to do to this day. I use my phone. And I go back and I look at my contacts in my phone and I kind of you know, go through that maybe once every two or three months. And I look and I've got a lot of contacts on my phone now. And I kind of ask myself, okay, now which, which person or which person or, or family or whatever do I want to target that maybe I need to spend some time building some trust and confidence in? Right. So that's the first thing. And I think that really, you don't want to be going and some people go, you know, I guess more to the internet and, and quickly if they're, if they're introverts. And if I'm an extrovert, so I'd rather have the conversations. I'm not big on networking in terms of big meetings and going to meetings like Rain. I, I tried that and I didn't find myself very successful trying to find them in the rooms because you just didn't have any, any relationship built with people. So for me, it was like, why not deal with the people that I know? And those end up being the same people that I really want to help and I have an interest in. I know their families. I know what they're eventually aspire to do. So I focus on those people and I spend all kinds of time with them, just getting to know their why, understanding what's going on in their lives. What do we want to achieve? Go, go, go. And then the second thing I think in the meantime, in the background, Patrick, I've worked hard at, at educating myself of trying to come up with a solution for every every circumstance that people will present to me. Some people just, you know, I look at older people and, and I have a lot of older people that I work with. They don't want joint ventures. They don't want to be in for a 12-year deal, but they want a great re- return on a private investment, right? So those guys want some income. They want something happening that's against, well, I can do a private money deal or chances are there's some people in their... 30s, 40s, and 50s that have RSPs. Well, they just want to get a better return on their RSPs. They don't necessarily have the capital to do that. Then there's the people at the beginning, and I have a solution for the people who have no capital. You know, you can go to RSPs. You don't even have to get and qualify for a mortgage. You can do an RSP mortgage from the very beginning. If you just begin to understand how to reel in people who are unsatisfied with RSP returns, you can do a gazillion RSP mortgages and never knock a door at the bank. Like that's pretty cool. Okay, right? so and let's I, dig I into that a little bit. That. Let's dig into that RSP part. Like I, I don't want to. Yeah. S- okay, so let's let's bookmark that. Let's come back to it. And okay. you, so you've got your circle of influence. That sphere of influence that you live within. It's family. Absolutely. It's friends. You know, yeah. one of the things that I've you know I, we stress from stage time and time again. As a real estate investor, you always have to be talking about real estate. It, and it doesn't mean that you're talking about real estate and give me money, give me money, give me money. But have the conversation of, of real estate from the place of 
gosh, I'm starting to understand economic fundamentals. I'm understanding the real estate market. I'm watching the, like when you start talking about real estate in a, in a way that's informative and is educative and you, people start to see that you have a level of expertise that they then become interested and you're gaining confidence in them. That's the thing that goes back to trust, confidence, and and ultimately, how do you establish that? I, I've seen so many times and heard so many stories. It isn't the person that you're talking to necessarily that's going to come to you, but that person that you're talking to has an uncle, has a friend, has somebody they stumble across that's got a problem that's got to be solved, that has a deal that's probably uh, you know worth looking at. And they come to you go, I don't know what to do with this, but you know, I got this guy, I met this person, you might want to talk to him. The next thing you know, you've got something going on. Right. It, and and then so that's fear of influence that you have is not necessarily even that they're directly, but it 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 often is that. But it also can be who they're referring to you because of the confidence and trust they have in you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. I guess one of the, one of the stories that I think is a really cool example of what we're talking about. Um, you know, we talk about stories. I think we said that a lot in our conversation here today. Yeah. And people love stories, and people learn from stories, and. One of the things that I'm dealing with with a couple or three of my coaching clients is they complain to me a lot. You know, I have no money. I don't have a lot to go on and I don't, I don't have any stories. And I said, well, you need to create your stories and you need to realize that you can use my stories. You can use Patrick's stories. You can use Jared's stories to help you build the, the, uh, the rapport that you're looking for. But I've, I've also helped people understand that you can create a story even without having any real estate. And here's an example of this. This is a, a, a young couple that's working with this. And we were talking about this, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you need to go and I want you to, I want you to take your wife out for, for dinner. And I want you to plan a night this coming weekend. I want you to take her to the keg and I want you to tell her, I want you to dress up. I want you to look really hot for me. We're going to go over and have a great time together. We're going to order some really good steaks at the keg and have a great bottle of wine. And what we're going to do, we're going to focus on uh, what our why is. So they're going to, they spend some time doing that. And then I said, the next thing I want you to do is now you have to realize you're going to need other people's money. Now I want you to focus on what you think an ideal capital partner, an ideal JV partner would look like. And I want you to write that down for me. And I want you to give me a list of that. So this couple did that. And they went and they went to the, went out for, I think it wasn't to the keg, but they went and spent some time. They had a busy young family and they took the time off two or three hours on a Friday night they texted me back, called me back and said, you know what? We did this. This was amazing. And I said to them, you've just created a story. And now you can go and you can tell some of the people that you're talking with, you know what? We had a fantastic time on Friday night. My, my husband and I went out and talked about what we want our real estate and our why and how this is going to create something for our kids down the road. And they were able to you know, share that story. And then we figured out this is the kind of partners... You know, and now we've got a path. We made a path that's going to create some real financial freedom for our kids down the road. And they haven't bought a piece of real estate yet, Patrick. That's the thing. And that, but they have a story. And all of a sudden, the people that they are going to talk to are beginning to realize, hey, that's pretty cool. Maybe that they maybe are doing something that I want to do. And lo and behold, you have the beginning to a JV partnership. Yeah, well, it is cool. That's I think that's genius, dude. I love, love, love that. And and that story actually is really about a vision, and 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 people love to see vision. If they know you have a vision that goes beyond, you know, the thing called money, which often lands for people as greed. Yeah, it it really is a kind of powerful way. So I I love that exercise. I think that yeah, 
That's a really, really great exercise. And then, boy, those, that couple, just all of a sudden, you know, they're eating out of my hand, just waiting for the next step, you know, in terms of they realize that, hey, this is real. And I felt this. This is something that hit me right in my heart, you know, and it made me feel. But what, talk about motivational, Patrick. Holy cow, they're they're on board, right? To get rolling on it. I can hardly wait to see where that's going to go, right? Love that. Well, yeah. And as a coach, of course, you're, you're calling the play in a game, you're helping somebody achieve their goals, right? You know, to score a goal, whatever that goal might be. And you get to actually d- define the plays of the game and the path and then get them on, on the field of play to actually execute. I, I love that. I love that. So fulfilling in that regard. Yeah. So let's go back to RSP. I don't want to step over it because I know many people. So, okay. So first off, it has to be said that RSPs, you know, you can't take your RSP and fund your own mortgage. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. It's got to be arm's length. Correct. What does that mean? You can't be related to me. I can't have the same blood as you. You can't be connected to me in any way, shape, or form uh, in terms of a a relation. And that's the thing. Uh, You're my friend. That's fine. You're my brother-in-law. That's not fine. You're my father. That's not fine. Uh, You're my cousin. That's not fine. So any way that the tax act can look at that and say that you're some way connected is the key you cannot do RSPs with that. So that eliminates family and eliminates me, but it certainly creates a need. If I have RSPs, I want to find somebody who's going to invest my RSPs for me. So walk, so walk me through, walk me through that. So, okay. So John, John, I got 300,000 sitting in RSPs. Yeah. And, you know, I looked at them and over the past five years, you know, some of that money, the way it's allocated is down 2%. I've got a couple others that are up 3%. You know, five years later, seven years later, I'm flat. Like, it's like my money is going nowhere. Right. Why should I, you know, no, first off, you've already convinced me that real estate might be an option. Let's just assume that I see real okay. estate because sure. that's almost a no brainer in our world. But yeah. then, so what do I do now? How do I, how are you going to deploy my capital? What's, what's, what's the whole context and concept for it? Yeah. Patrick. Are you happy if I were to tell you that you can have your capital and you can you can keep your capital safe and secure for a period of up to 12 years? Does that make you feel good? I'm, I'm all over. I want to hear more. Patrick, are you happy with the idea that your investment and your returns are all over the place? Last December, I remember we chatted and you weren't very happy with the way the market turned out, but then it came back. And then another three months later, it went down again. What if I could give you something that gave you a consistent return every single month for 12 years that we can put into something that you can be in first place mortgage. You can be the one who makes the money if something goes really bad. How would that make you feel? I, I'm in. And we're done. <laughs> it's as simple <laughs> as that. Like I'm, and that, that's the big thing. Security in terms of having a, a capital. Like We always talk about return of capital and return on capital. I can take care of a return on capital and of a specific, specifically of capital. I'm going to invest them into a mortgage. We don't need the bank when we do these things. So they're going to be in first place. If that project goes bad, there's no bank that's going to get paid first and then you're going to get money. You are the Bank of Montreal. You are TD. You are the one that gets paid first before I make one cent. So there's a huge security thing to talk about there. The second thing is having an income and something that's got, get, got done all the time, you're going to get a consistent return on money. I use 
as, as the primary interest they got. The numbers, you really got to know your numbers on this in terms of what do you need out of a deal? What makes sense for you? 5% makes sense. And I just keep rolling with that all the way through. It's a nice, consistent return. It's going to grow, 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 grow. The third thing that I really like about this idea and that's going to make people feel good when you talk to them about this is it's money that you already have. There's no pain in this, right? I'm not going to come to you and say, Patrick, I need $300,000. Can you give me $300,000 and write me a check for that? And your answer is going to be, well, maybe your answer is going to be yes, but most people are going to say, no, I, you know, I need that money to work on my mortgage. We, we want a lifestyle. I want to buy a boat. But you know, I have $300,000 that I've already saved. I've already put away. My company's helped me create and put towards this. It's money that's there. You don't have to write a check for it. You just have to simply transfer out of what you're invested into and transfer over through Olympia Trust. I love talking about Olympia Trust. It's a terrific company. as a mortgage administration house. Then you go into a project through real estate that you can trust that you can see what's going on. You can touch and go up there and touch a house. You can touch a piece of land and find your security in it being first place. So, so it's not painful. I don't have to write a check for it. It's just something, something that I already have that's going to be further invested more wisely. So let's link some dots here. So I've, in this case, we're going to talk, and I want to go to a lesser amount. So let's just say I've got the 300 grand, and, and so it's coming out of my existing RSP. It's actually staying within the RSP. I'm not triggering anything, uh, you know, tax-wise. It goes through Olympia Trust. It right. then is set up as a mortgage against the property that we're purchasing. And Correct. then the deal in the background is, uh, you know, we, have, uh, we, we own the asset. Or yep. do you own the asset? I own the asset. My name is on title and mortgage. Okay, and so you're oh, paying... Sorry, my name is on title, not mortgage. Okay, so but do I have an equitable stake in it or do I just hold the the, the mortgage and you're paying me 5%? No, no you do not have a, an ownership stake in this at all because then that would, would qualify as a arm's length, right? Because then you'd be tied to the ownership of the property. You are the bank. Got it. Okay, so great. I'm just I'm actually clarifying this for for listeners. So, yeah, so sure. because I, I hear these questions often. So so that's great. So thanks for clarifying that. So I'm really just a mortgage. But what if I say now nah, you know some I think I should do better. What if I you know is what if I what if I think that you know something for me to be really comfortable with three hundred grand I want eight percent. What are you going to say yeah. to that? I'm going to say I've got a lineup of people out there that are absolutely looking for this. And I say, you know what? That's great. And I'm going to tell you, you know what? I get it. Um, 5% might not, be, might not be something that works in your investment strategies. And there are people like us. I probably am one of those people where I probably wouldn't get you know, be happy with 5%. But I know when you look at the bell curve, people like us that want the 8, the 10, the 12%, and you can get this if you're willing to put in the work for it. Not sure you can get the security on it as much. There's probably investments that you can, but it's a lot more work to kind of get that. But there's a, the majority of the bell curve, this is what's great from my perspective, there's so many fish in the sea that you can go fishing for, right? So there's so many people. I took somebody, Patrick, I took somebody under their RSPs that were losing 8% per year on their investments. Do you think they were happy to get out of what they were doing? Sure, well, if they get and 5%, that's you, a 13% spread. That's a 13% <laughs> spread. They, they were so happy that they didn't have to lose what they had saved so hard for sure. and they paid no attention to it. Right? it. Like they didn't pay any. Man, I, I tell you, there's the bell curve, the 90% of the people that we're going to talk to are going to be happy with that 5% return. And I think the other thing that you have to be careful with is that is you, you bring consistency. 
some confidence, trust, consistency comes in there too. If I give you uh, 8% on your 300,000 and I do another deal with somebody that you may or may not know, and I give them 5%, that's going to come back to them and it's going to haunt you and your trust and your confidence are going to take a hit with that. Okay. So I just say, see ya. Got I have a deal for you. So you've got me looked after. Are you, now you're paying me a monthly payment on that, on, on that mortgage? Cool. That's correct. Awesome. So that goes back into Olympia Trust and is, is, is just like growth in your RSP. So that becomes a, another amount of money that isn't contributing to your RSP. You don't get that money. I don't pay you a check for it. It goes and keeps your RSP growing. Okay. So now I had 300000 which could you know could really fund a small property in Edmonton. Let's just say Sweeted, that. Sweeted house. Perfect Sweeted. number. Okay. So, but what if I only got 50000 and so, okay, hold it. Let's back up a little bit. So I've got 300. You own the asset. Yep. You, you've done the deal. You 100% own the asset. That's correct. Now, what's, what's on your side of the equation? And I'm not trying to balance it out. I'm saying as an, like, I, I just want to know as an investor, you, you've got me covered as the, as the lender. So for you, it's just a normal, you're going to rent it out. You're responsible for making that payment. You're going to rent it out. You got yep. a cash flow. You're going to have mortgage. Now, what are you doing? Are you mortgage buy down? Or is it, no. no. And so let me, let me Appreciation just uh, go back. Appreciation and cash flow. Yeah. A couple, just a little clarification sure. point here. Perfect. So I don't, if I had you with 50,000 and I was thinking, oh, that's not really enough for what I want to get. Like that 250, 300,000, whatever is a nice number to work with in my portfolio. That's what I like to raise for per project. Yep. But it doesn't have to come from just you or just one product. It can come to a maximum of five products. So you can have a product Maybe you have a TFSA and you have an RRSP. I can take both of those and count them as two products. And I need a total of five products. That's the maximum that I can get. So from my perspective, I have to be very careful who I choose. If I take a bunch of people that have $18,000 or $20,000 and I put them together, well, I've only got $100,000. That that's as much as I can go. But I might have another person. I've got one of these deals happening right now. We're closing on next week. One guy has a fair bit of money. So I matched him with some people who I've worked with for a long time, had some money come out of another deal that we did, 20000 I matched him with a big 130000 $140,000 and put another seventy-five dollars or $80,000 together. And now all of a sudden, I've got $225,000, right? So you can combine them and you can have different people coming in. They don't have to be related. They don't have to... These people don't even know each other that I'm dealing with. Combines into one standard mortgage. That's what we call a standard mortgage, less than five products. And that becomes the, the RSP mortgage for me to buy a property. Now, secondly, to answer your question again, what do I need to think about? Number one, the, and, and people may see this as a disadvantage. I don't because it, for me, it's about cash flow. And everything to me is about cash flow. This is Jared and I talk about this all the time. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. That's really the most important thing that we need to talk about because it solves the most problems. Okay. So, more, you, you know, back to the good old uh, three ways of making money in real estate cash flow, equity pay down, and appreciation. All of a sudden, I'm giving up equity pay down. I am not going to pay down any. Uh, any principle on this mortgage. I'm going to let it sit there until I have an exit strategy. That's why we took 10 to 12 years normally are these terms that we go at. And then if I sell that, then I'm going to pay 100% of it down. So I'm giving up the equity pay down portion in order to get cash flow and I will get the appreciation of it as well. So that's, that's maybe, you might call that a bit of a downfall. I like it because I don't have to pay that principle 
And I can take that principal that I would pay down on the mortgage and use it as cash flow. I like having cash flow. I like having a low loan to value on these properties. This is me. This is Freedom 55 me talking right now. I want $25,000 a year. That's, that's where I'm, I'm targeting. I'm getting close to that of positive cash flow every month coming out of my properties. That's what we're after. So I can put that together and with low loan to values, I can get $1,100, $1,200 a property on a suited house uh, in Edmonton and really be happy with that result, right? That's what I want. Does that's, that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Dude, it totally makes sense. You explained it perfectly. So I love it. Now, there's lots of questions around that, but we're not going to get into it today. This is actually a little bit of a teaser because uh, you're going to be talking a lot about that stuff in the upcoming months on the rain stage. I want want to say one more thing. Can I say one more thing? Of course you can say one more thing, John. (laughs) I'm only the host of the show. I I don't run it. I I love this. This is awesome. Um, the one thing that I, that I want to say to our listeners who, who, are, who are worried about, okay, well, I, I don't have uh, uh, the money to match that to put in 475 The nicest thing about these products is that you can go really high loan to values as well. If I wanted to get a, a let's call it a $500,000 suited house, I can literally raise $500,000 in RSP mortgages and not have to put one cent down on it. Okay, this is, gets back. How do I get into... Uh, into buying a property. Well, this is terrific news because in the banks, when we go to the banks, and I'm not knocking banks because I really think they have low interest rates and we want to, we want to work with them as well to build the portfolio. But when you're stuck and you can't get mortgages because you're, you're early into the game or you have too many mortgages, this is a terrific option. There's no loan-to-value restriction. Normally, we get to 80%, maybe tops, first-time homeowners a lot higher, but it's mortgage-insured. Um, you know, you can go really high on this and I can get into a property or a young guy, if I'm 20, I'm going to do this with my kids and talk about my kids. My kids are going to go and they're going to, they're going to save some money you know, as much as they can. And they're going to go 90% loan to values on their first properties, all with RSP mortgages. And guess what? They're, going to, they're, they're not going to get a lot of cash flow, but down the road, they're going to have a property that's going to have appreciation and going, and then they can whittle away at this mortgage at the rate that they please to bring these down. And that's another nice thing about these, uh, these standard mortgages, RSP mortgages. You can be replaced with somebody else. So I have the flexibility of moving it around. I make, you know, he, he who holds the gold makes all the rules. It really doesn't apply to this. Me as the RSP holder and as the, as the person borrowing the RSP mortgage, I make the rules. How cool is that? That's the okay, coolest. How cool is that, right? <laughs> the man with the gold rules. Bit, That's it's perfect. just a little bit out of the box <laughs> thinking. But man, I can hardly wait to tell these people who are stuck that, that won't be able to get going on it. This is the way out of this, people. It's a really cool deal. Sorry, I'm a little passionate about no, that. No, <laughs> I can see that, and it's awesome. So, so am I, by the way. Like, I, I love this, and I love the fact that we're talking about this because today, when we're looking at the banks and what our limitations are with the banks and the stress test and all of the stuff that goes with qualifying, yeah. this actually is a way better use of time and energy. Oh, for and sure. And gives you it's a great return on your investment of time in terms of, of the relationships that you're building. Of course with a bank you try and re- build a relationship well that changes really quickly because the rules change and the managers change and the mortgage brokers change and there's all these other changes coming at you. This there's, is pretty there, consistent. There's so much uh, there's so much less work. Joint ventures don't kid yourself. They're work. Oh, 100%. And there's a lot of stuff that has to happen with this but you know the the cool part about this is that you can do a joint venture with somebody, you can do an RSP with somebody, you can do a private money with somebody, but the same game exists. You're still 
targeting the same people. You're still talking about real estate. Using how we do with real estate is, is the next chapter down the road. It's all about using real estate to, to create the, the solutions to wise. And there's a lot of ways to slice, slice the pie around, right? And to get it going and to, to be creative on how you're doing this. And this is stuff... Patrick, I don't know. You, I, I learned this. I dug hard for this. I, I got experience with second mortgages early in my career and I had to learn it the hard way. But now people just have to come to rain. They just have to learn and copy what we do. A hundred percent. How easy is that, right? Like that's very exciting. easy. So did you, you know, did you buy, have you crossed paths with uh, Stuart and Denise McPherson out of Ottawa? I have. I, yes. I you know, I got to do a shout out for them because they've been doing and supporting people and learning uh, RSP investing for so long. And they've, uh, they've supported so many investors, yeah. uh, mortgage holders and and doing a great job of that. And, and the combination. So that's only to, I guess, to add credibility to what you're talking about. This sure. is not, yeah. this is, you know, this is a strategy that, uh, many have, you know, are, are implementing and have, have implemented. So it, it works as the key is to learn it and to, uh, you know, and then to execute. So that's you know, very, very cool. One of the things that, one of the things that, that Jared said that that always stuck with me when we were first uh, coaching together on the stage together in Edmonton, he made a comment and I think he, he had a comment and somebody asked him, if you had $50,000, what would you do with that $50,000? And his answer was really astute. I thought, he said, I, I wouldn't buy a piece of real estate. I invested into education, into knowledge. 100%. And I, I, I'd like to say, you know what, Jared, you could probably take it a step further. I'd probably take 40,000 or 25,000 and do that. But I, this is the ticket of getting into a property is put 25, go buy a single family house right now in Edmonton. There's dime a dozen, as long as the numbers work and you really need to have the education to understand how the numbers work. Right. Then you could go to buy a a $300,000 single, $250,000 single family home in a great area in Edmonton, have great property management in, in, in taking care of that thing. And you can be into that house for twenty-five or $30,000 on an RSP mortgage. Well, here, <sighs> and I want to point out something here. So thank you for that. That's very true. But here's something interesting. You're in Ontario. Yeah. And you're investing in Edmonton, which goes yeah. back to, so as people in Ontario are listening to this, they're going, you can't buy a freaking house for th- 250, 300, 450. It just doesn't work. The math never works, which goes back to what we say time and time again. You don't have to invest in your backyard, number one. Number two, you want to make your money work harder for you than you work for your money, which means that you deploy it into the markets, the geographic regions where the economic fundamentals and the real estate market make the most sense. Is Am I covering that? Oh, totally. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm a, a testimonial to what you're talking about there. I actually really like the fact that I don't have properties in Ontario. I got to tell you, because it forces me to, to have great relationships to manage people that are far away. I used to have properties in Kitchener. I had about 40, 42, I think at the top. And we had, you had them in Kitchener. You had them in Hamilton. I had a bunch of condos in Toronto. I had stuff in London. I had stuff at Edmonton. I had stuff in, I have stuff now in Nanaimo all over BC, like all, we're all over the place. But lately I've gotten rid of, I've sold in the seller's market in Ontario and done really, really well, but I'm now kind of focused in on more Edmonton. Okay. And I remember good old Don, Don telling us, you know, this, the real savvy investors who have educated themselves, they, they learn how to make money in slump. They learn how to make money in recovery and they learn how to make money in a boom. 
And and I think the you know that one of the things I'm I'm thankful for is is when the Edmonton right now Edmonton's tough, but there's tremendous opportunity out there for people to get in in a buyer's market right now. And it's it's what I've been what I've learned is how to be a real savvy investor in a slumping market out there right now. But boy, are we putting ourselves? I I have plans to buy 18 suited houses this year, both myself and with with JVs. That's kind of what we've got on the ticket to to collect over the next uh, seven to eight ten months probably we'll have them done but i think it's a great opportunity to get in right now but i'm really glad i don't get the opportunity to go and drive by my houses all the time i don't get the opportunity to go and see uh what my tennis look like and i'm quite okay with that my life runs on a mac computer it runs off my iphone and talk about the freedom for that patrick i can run my business from anywhere i want in the world i can do it at muskoka at the cottage i can do it we did it in italy we did it all over the place we were in new zealand this summer Really enjoying the fruits of all that, but just having the freedom to not worry about what's going on at home and knowing where people, where, where I live, or you know, I'm, I'm worried about what's going down down the street. You know, I don't have to worry about that, and I love not investing in my hometown. That's so cool. You know, there's, there's, I, I love that, and I, but I want to ask you a question around that because I say this to Rain members all the time. Get the hell out of your back own backyard. Like when we have an acre event, you get to go to acre for free. Yeah. So go to the acre in Vancouver if you live in Ontario. If you live in Vancouver, go to the acre in Ontario. And the reason is, is and, and tell me, you know, I know you run it from your phone and your MacBook, but how many times have you been to Edmonton or let's say attended an event? And I don't know the answer to this question. So, yeah. you know, I, I could be setting myself up for total failure here. But what? <laughs> how, how often do you get out of your own backyard and go to an Edmonton, for example, or a rain oh, event? A rain event, I did a lot of that. I went to two or three rain events. Uh, I, th- I think it was two, actually, that I went to when I was in, in the earlier days. But you know what? It, it, again, it goes back to relationships. I built some solid relationships with my realtors and I built some, especially with my property managers. I've had terrific property management in Edmonton for the whole time that I've been there. They've been just terrific. I, I look at like Jared's doing all of our stuff right now, but I dealt with, with, uh, I don't really remember Sam and Elizabeth Bain. They're terrific people. And they were like my sisters and my brother out there. She was just amazing. And I used to, Patrick, I used to stay in their house when I go out there. They had a room downstairs for me and I worked (laughs) with them and they were just awesome. And working with those guys. And they, again, I built the relationship. I built my team. We talk about trust and confidence with your partners. Golly, when you're investing somewhere else outside of your hometown, you darn well better have trust and confidence in your team of people that are working for you. Realtors, property managers, lawyers, you name it, insurance people, the whole works that are on that team, the accounting end of it, my bookkeeping end of it, they're all focused and understand where I'm investing into. And that's really, really important. I love that. I love the wisdom in that. I love the experience that you bring to the table and sharing that. So um, thanks for that. Now, but you know, there's something that I want to point out. You've talked about, and only because we are starting to wind down a little bit here. And, yeah. um, you talk a lot about Jared. Yeah. And he's I know he's a good pal of yours as well. And you guys do yeah, a lot of business. Having a lot of fun together. <laughs> but you know something? I gotta say, you know, his wife, Krista, is a is a good friend. I know of both of ours. And um I recently did a podcast with her, which is about to be released. And I think it's important to understand that 
Krista's really, really nice, and she's really smart, and she's really cool. And you and I both will joke about Jared. How the hell did you get such an amazing wife? No question you know, about no it. No question about <laughs> it. So, you know, it just goes to say that behind every uh, accomplished guy is a pretty cool woman often. Yeah. And uh, in this case, I wanted to do a shout out for Chris Hope and throw yeah. Jared under the bus a little bit. So for sure, <laughs> she, she's terrific. You know, yeah. she's part of I, when I when I hired Jared as my coach, that was part of the deal. And I always I always joke about uh, about Kristen. I tell Jared all the time is that I got my money's worth out of Kristen, not you. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So but, true. Uh, you know, she, she, Jared does a terrific job. Oh, he's course. a smart cookie. There's no, there's a lot of confidence behind him. And yeah. He knows his stuff and he, and, and he's right a lot of the time. And I really like that about him, but he's got experience. He knows the real estate game, but Krista takes care of the mind yeah. and she helps everything else. You know, you talk about 10 times. I'm sure you're familiar with the Grant Cardones of the world, et cetera, et cetera. I took yeah. a strategic coach with Dan Sullivan uh, out of Toronto here. He's out of Chicago. Brilliant. And that, was, that was a course. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. But, totally. He's, um, Dan Sullivan is a legend. He's a legend. And it was 10 times everything else. And, you know, growing your financial uh, portfolio 10 times is one thing. But doggone it, you better be making sure you're growing 10 times of everything else. Your relationship with your wife, your spiritual relationship, your relationship with your kids, your, your, out, you know, your free time. You better be managing and getting 10 times the free time, 10 times the preparation. It's a whole gamut of stuff. And Chris has been really good. Like We've, been, we've gone through a fair bit of a, a change in our own personal portfolio. I made a lot of mistakes. And I think that's a savvy investor too, is somebody who's made mistakes and has learned from them and be able to share those mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes, but Jared's really helped me to kind of refocus that and get back on track. We're doing a lot of really cool stuff, ported mortgages. I love what that does. Getting out of properties that aren't cash flowing wells and moving that mortgage into properties that are cash flowing really, really well with the same mortgage. We're doing a couple of those. We're closing on one next week. That's a cool thing. So you know what? I, I back to Krista again, but Krista helps me kind of keep it all in mind. I have such good goals with her, and you know, she she really has been terrific. So I have got a big plug for her too. You know, there's a there's a part of what you just said, and and that I don't want to step over. We're not going to get into it in this particular podcast, but you know, there's always the how to. Everybody wants to know how to, how to, how to. Give me more information. Give me more information. Give me more information. And I, uh, you know, I always use the the cliche and the joke that. If more information was the answer, we'd all be billionaires and have six-pack abs. You know, there is just a point where it isn't about how to, and there is actually, to your point, is there is a mental game that comes with it. There is a mindset. There's the evolution of who we are as people. And, you know, it goes, it's like, it's not the goal. It's who you have to become to achieve the goal that truly is what makes right. the difference. And and to me, that is also the mental aspect of the game. And individuals like uh, Krista, and I know you, uh, as good as you are at the how-tos of everything, you're also a mental performance guy. You really look at the mental game and who you're being and how you're showing up and and how you get through uh, the you know the the challenges of life, the adversity that yeah. we all face as business owners and real estate investors. Absolutely, for sure, it's a whole package deal, for sure. Okay, my friend. In the spirit right. of time, we're going to wind down now. I finished the show with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Catch you off guard. You ready? Yeah. Fire these, away. These aren't hard. Favorite book right now. What are you reading, or what do you gift the most of? Favorite book. 
What do you got going on? Do you know, I, I wondered whether you'd ask these questions, so I'm a little bit prepared for okay, that. Okay, good. Yeah, and I'm going to be really honest with you. This this comes from a sincere answer. You know, I, I can't I can't function every day without having some time in, in, in the Bible yep. and some time uh, studying Jesus because I think Jesus was one of the most unselfish people that there ever was. So I like spending a little bit of time with that every day, but I go back to, I still read over, I wrote a book summary. I put a 20-page book summary together on real estate investing in Canada. It's just as simple as that. I read that over and over and over again. And I read my summary over and everything that I'm doing continues. It's, it's all there. So that, I got to say, good old Don, thank you uh, for, for giving us that. I shouldn't say good old Don because he's not good. He's not old and he's great. But um, <laughs> I got to tell he, him he's he old. I'm going to tell him you got, called him he's old. He's got a gem of a book there. And that's the first book that I tell everybody to buy. <laughs> okay. So then the next question is, you wrote a summary. Why don't do you, you want to share it? Do you want to, do you wanna, can we share it? Can you? Can Absolutely. We... We're, we're, we're working on that right now. I'm getting some blogs up, some videos up. I, I can awesome. get that. Put that on a on a on a rain website if you need it for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent, dude. I'm, I'm gonna put it. I'll, I'll listen. Here's the thing, is that in the show notes of Ted M, the Everyday yeah, yeah, Millionaire yeah. podcast. Done. Guess what, dude? You're you committed. It's in the notes. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, you can like I give it to my JV clients because you don't. Often people don't want to read read a book in full, but here, summary. here's a tweet summary yeah. of the book. Well, I mean, there, there's a Blink, uh, there's an app called Blink, which is yeah. just that. It's a great app because yeah. it gives you those summaries. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite swear word? Uh, uh, no, no, probably not. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, probably, no, I probably You don't, don't have to. It's I not... just curse it. Every now and then I curse it, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It line yeah, up. He has a few choice words for me sometimes, <laughs> so I give it right back to him. <laughs> That's so funny. Actually, you know, we were talking earlier, Patrick, about bitmojis, and there's some really funny bitmojis in there. And there's one with a guy with a middle finger and an F you on either side. Every, <laughs> every now and then I give that one to Jerry. Okay, good. Share it with me because I'll do the same because it's appropriate. Um, oh, that's so funny. What's your, uh, I know you shared an inspirational quote earlier, um, but what's your favorite inspirational quote besides that one? Uh, uh, yeah, like that's the, the big one for me. Okay. Uh, say it, it again. Other, Use it again. Yeah. You can get anything you want. If you're just willing to help enough other people get what they want. A good old Zig Ziglar quote. Yeah. I live by that. And how, you know, uh, putting others before yourself, I think is the other thing for me. Yeah. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Oh, good question. Um, welcome and, uh, well done. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? <laughs> uh, 10 being really weird? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm probably a four. I'm, I'm pretty boring. Boring's simple and boring's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are you not very good at? Like if there was something, if I was to say to your wife, you know, what does John suck at? What would she say? Or what do you think you're just not very good at? Oh, um, uh, I think, uh, again, gut-wrenching honest question here probably skirting issues sometimes I, I i think i've dealt with the fear of consequence in my life in in a few areas and um i'm sometimes just not i'm afraid of being right out there and open and not fearing consequence so that's probably my weakness yeah but hey we're working on that and that's that's everybody's got their weaknesses that's probably something that i look forward to the results of changing i'm going to share a quick story and that is is that so one of my favorite books is the untethered soul and in the untethered soul, they're actually they they work you through an exercise so that when you 
are looking when you're challenged or you feel your heart rate go up because of you know something a a, a confrontation uh, somebody pushed your button you got some fear out there somewhere it actually you train yourself to stop acknowledge that fear identify it and say what is it that's causing the problem. Now, I'm probably just really doing a shitty job of explaining this exercise, but it's a good exercise. So I'm, I'm explaining how I do it. Yeah. So if, if the fear is of confrontation, let's just say that's it. Well, what about the confrontation? Well, he'll be yell, he'll she'll scream, whatever the confrontation might be. Well, what about it? That is it. So, so you actually go down to the very depth. You try and get to the very core of what that is. And it's never the incident. You got to keep going below. Well, what about that? What about that? What about that? What is it? Now you can do that in almost a nanosecond in your brain often. Sometimes it may take a couple of minutes, a bit of a meditation, whatever, to get to the bottom of it, but it immediately takes the charge off it, number one. And often, if you really get to what it is, it never happens again. It actually neutralizes those charges that you that you get it's kind of a cool exercise so for those of you who are interested in doing more and i probably like i said i did a shitty job of explaining the exercise <laughs> untethered soul <laughs> go there read that book it's a good one yeah i've heard about it that's for sure room your desk or your car what do you clean first room my desk or my car yeah oh you're a car guy probably, what do you do i'm an organized you freak, are. so the desk has got to come first oh it does I, Oh yeah. 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 My office is, 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 is really well organized and it's, it helps me be motivated and put together. Now the car is the next thing. I, I'm fussy with my, <laughs> my kids. We have a lab, we have a lab that is a, a terrific dog, but a shedder like crazy. Oh yeah. Right? Crazy. She, she's, always gotta, she's always got to go in my wife's car, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Talk about skirting issues. There's one right there. <laughs> Black lab, golden lab, what kind of lab? No, it's a, it's a white lab. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> favorite tune? Do you have a favorite tune? Oh, anything. I love Dan and Shay. I love uh, Rascal Flatts and any of their songs. I, I get a good kick out of it. I don't really have one. Favorite movie? Top Gun all the way. Top Gun all the way. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Netflix or a streaming series of some sort that you're watching right um, now? I love Suits. I love the lawyer stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, Suits is a great show. Suits is a great show. Yeah, I've watched a lot of Suits. And today, in this moment, what are you grateful for? Uh, a loving wife um, and great four great kids. I am grateful for you being a guest on the show. I'm grateful for the relationship that uh, we're starting to regain and is yet to come. I too am grateful for my wife and I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, have a voice to share, to have people learn and listen and be entertained and take away and make a change in their life. So I'm grateful Absolutely. for all of that as well. So thanks again. Thanks again, John. Been a great, great show. Yeah. Thank Lots you. Of Congratulations. Fun. Congratulations to you, Patrick. It's uh, I love what you're doing and where you're going, and I wish you all the best for sure. Thanks, pal. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.